going on, everybody? 360 Digital Closing Bell here. I am your humble, humble correspondent, Michael Tanner, joined as always by the executive producer and the purveyor of the show, Stuart Turley. Stu, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. It is a beautiful day, and uh, happy Mother's Day to all the Mother's Day, even though this is dropping on Monday. Had to have been a good weekend. Yeah, a little inside baseball. We record this Sunday mornings, but we get this show to you every day, Monday. And yes, happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers out there. We are joined live from an undisclosed location here in Denver, Colorado. That's where I am. Stu's out in Dallas. So we've got a little, we've got a little mix of, of everything going on. We have a great show for you guys lined up. Episode 15, we're going to be covering really, you know, so we have, it's, I've, I've honestly been feeling under the weather the past week, and, and, and we just agreed that last week was maybe sort of a down week for our show. So I have sort of like four or five things we have to get to. And so, so the segment one is going to be more of a, I'm calling it random story time. We've got a bunch of different things to come to, a lot of different things that fire me up. As always, we will look at the week upcoming in energy. We're going to check in with the portfolio, and we're going to give Stephen and Nick a call. They've got some really interesting things to chat about. But as always, this show is brought to us by our friends at Adam 18 Energy. I love everything about this company what they're doing for the ESG space. And they're really asking the question, what is social risk? And, and what does that mean for the energy sector? It's not just community opposition anymore to development project. What it is, it's everything from the success of the divest from fossil fuels movement to the investor engagement in an ESG program and to the individual states setting ambitious climate and decarbonization agenda. It really seems like it's everywhere now and it's moving so quickly. I mean, I can't tell you how many different times um, I, I hear this in an, in, 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 in an earnings call. I've sat on so many the past two weeks. You don't know how often ESG comes up and that's why your company needs a strategic partner to help you assess and prepare for all of the shareholder and institutional pressures that come on your peer companies. And Adam Mateen Energy is the leading consultancy to help oil and gas companies navigate this. They're led by Tisha Shuler, who's the former CEO of the Colorado Oil and Gas Association. And they provide guidance on all types to exposure, uh, excuse me, to expose your um, exposure to social risk. There's so much stuff they do. It's unbelievable. I mean, really, if you have any questions with ESG, just check them out, www.energythinks.com. We love them. We also did an interview with her about two weeks ago. So if you want a little uh, insight on what her mindset looks like, she also hosts a podcast called the Energy Thinks Podcast. Please check that on iTunes, Spotify. And that is who our show is brought to you by. We love them and we appreciate them helping you bring this show every week. Before we dive into our little random story time, as always, you got to subscribe to our show, The 360, closing bell on iTunes, Spotify, follow us on LinkedIn, do everything that makes the algorithms go nuts. We have so many interviews that are dropping on the Energy 360 network. Lucas Bio drops Tuesday. I'm in the process of cutting up a Michael Moore special that hopefully will drop sometime next week. Um, we have an interview with Sproul, don't you? When's that dropping? Oh, you bet. That one's dropping Wednesday. Uh, Van Tat, both of those interviews with Locus Bio and uh, Sproul are fantastic. They were fantastic. And I, there's so much good information that I got from this Sproul episode that sort of kind of guides the way I've been thinking. And I'm really excited to get that drop. Partly why I love doing this job is we get the inside information before we release it to anybody, which is really nice. Um, and we really appreciate those guys coming on. But as we you know, get into the show now, you know, like I mentioned, I, I, you know, honestly, I thought last week was a little down for me. You know, I pounded out, we only did like a 29 minute show on Friday, which is not nearly enough to cover what happens in the oil, in the energy markets. There's so much more that we're missing out on. And so there's just probably, there's like four stories that we need to get to. And I couldn't really settle on one opening sort of segment to kind of start this off. So we're kind of, we've got four different things I want to work into. And the first one being, this Bloomberg trading story that I saw. And if you, if you, you know, I, I've been getting hit up a lot about how do we get in on this negative pricing? Well, I want to give you an idea of what happens when you try to get in on the negative pricing. I'm just going to read you this article and I'm going to highlight it. This is a Bloomberg article that was written on, you know, May 5th. Okay. And so this is a guy who has an oil futures account and did what a lot of people are trying to, Hey, how do I get in on this negative pricing? Um, I'm going to redact his name. I'm going to say blank blank usually buys and sells stocks and currencies through his interactive brokers account, which is IB is one of the top futures and stock trading plans. I use interactive brokers only for equity. So I like their platform. I, I'm a user of them. And this scares me when I see that. Um, and I mean, I don't do futures through them. I have, you know, this is another shameless plug. I, I use AMP futures. Um, if anyone's wondering, as always, we don't give investment advice here, but that's the personal one that I use. I like them. They've 
you know, but they're only a brokerage. So it's really, ID has a, you know, it's their front end platform that really um, got you. So sorry, you know, blank blank usually buys and sells stocks and currencies through his interactive brokers account, but he couldn't resist his hand at trying some oil trading on April 20th. That just sounds deadly. That, that's just a bad sentence to start off. He couldn't resist trying his hand. They, one of the, you know, I know I get sidetracked here, but one of the nicknames, if you're in, a, you're in like a trading room, they call crude oil crudella. That's the nickname they give it because it's, she is fickle and she will get you. You think you've got her figured out. Then the next day, whoo, wipes out. So the day trader working from his house in a Toronto suburb figured he couldn't lose as he spent $2,400 snapping up crude at $3.30 a barrel and then at 50 cents. Then came what looked like the deal of a lifetime. That's never a good sign when this is what looks like the deal of a lifetime. Buying 212 futures contracts on the West Texas Intermediate for an astonishing penny each. I'm just reading the article here. So what didn't he know is that the oil's first trip into negative pricing had broken Interactive Brokers Group software. It couldn't cope with the pesky minus sign, even though it had always technically possible, though this was an outlandish idea before the pandemic for the crude oil market to go upside down. Crude was actually around negative $3.70 a barrel when Saeed's screen had one cent. Interactive Brokers had never displayed a sub-zero price and oil kept diving at the end of the day to minus $37 a barrel. At midnight, Blank got devastating news. He owned Interactive Brokers $9 million and he had started the day with just a little over $77,000 in his account. Folks, this is why you don't get in on negative pricing. This is, it's, it's a Bloomberg art. Do not get in on negative pricing. That's what happens. A margin call for $9 million. Woohoo! That's scary. In the words of Scooby-Doo, rut row. Yeah, that is a, I, I promise you, I check my mark. Even if I don't trade, I always check my account each day just so that like, I don't know what orders I happen to have open. Like I trust me, I'm always, so that, that just creeps me out. So I mean, really that's if, if, you know, if, if you're wondering how to get it on negative pricing, don't do it this way. This is not how I recommend it. But I think the next thing we have to get to in random story time is Stu's got a little uh, a, a rant on, on, Basically, I think it falls in line with this Michael Moore special. I'm going to let you just kick this off. What do you got for us? You were fired up about this morning. I got an email real early in the morning, so I know you're fired up about this. So I want to rant with dignity over this okay. because there is uh, about 1.5 billion people in this world that they have the right to 100% clean energy. And there is the relationship, Michael, that you and I have talked about. 100% relationship between clean energy and elevating out of poverty. Yeah. And when I was sitting there kind of looking at this, um, uh, the, the, this uh, COVID is really showing us that we've got to bring all of our manufacturing home. Mm-hmm. With manufacturing coming home, that's a great thing. Our, even our Congress folks are yeah. being able to see that. But what is really happening in the green market and everything else is the fact that our rare earth minerals, and I just want to go through some of these stats for you, rare earth minerals are critical to the green uh, planet and renewables. South Africa is uh, initially disrupted 75% of the global output of uh, platinum. Uh, Copper mining in Peru accounts for 12% of global production. Indonesia is the world top supplier of nickel. China alone is 50 to 70% of lithium and cobalt. Uh, Michael, how much of all of those are in, in batteries, in rare earth, in solar panels? And they're all over. It's, 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 they're, it's the essential piece. And that's yes. part of what we got into in that Michael Moore special was the value chain of these renewables. is just unbelievable. And, and Congo relies on child labor. So as we go through all of these kind of things, uh, Congress is looking at bringing back strip mining to the U.S. That's strip not mining? Be- strip mining. So you're... T- Yikes. We need to get rid of pollution and folks are really wanting the green. And when we talk to uh, Gregory uh, Whitestone, he has probably the best uh, view on that and that is using power with the best method of being good stewards to our planet. I love his quote. 
All right. There, and this is a shameless plug for uh, uh, um, Gregory right here. If you can't see on the uh, on the video, I'm holding up his his famous bumper sticker. I love CO2. Oh, you bet. And, and so, you know, our our marketplace and in clean energy has to have a balance of nuclear. It has to have hydroelectric uh, hydroelectric has to have, you know, I believe in wind and, and solar in the right uh, policies, but it's got to be market driven. And Michael, I want to throw this out for our future shows and things. Uh, fusion nuclear, I think, is where it's going to be. And I'm also doing a lot of research into hydrogen. Uh, I don't have enough specifics on it, but uh, those two, uh, fusion, nuclear, and uh, hydrogen are going to be coming up on our some of our shows. Yeah, I mean, nuclear still kind of scares me. I just spent the whole weekend binging the new the new HBO documentary series Chernobyl. I mean, it's it's like a mini doc. It's like a it's scary what happened there, and it's also kind of crazy when they because they lay out fairly not I don't it's a dramatized movies or you know documentary series, so it's not it's factual, but you can't take. But they do a decent job of laying out how actually like a nuclear facility works. Very interesting, very interesting. I didn't know it actually comes down to steam power. Um, when it's all said and done. But um, no, hydrogen is something that is very interesting. I know that's sort of all the rave when it comes to uh, um, like the, 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 the electric car movement or the new car movement where they want to like pump up with hydrogen. I, I think you couldn't quote me on that. I find it funny that uh, Elon Musk is fighting to get out of uh, California. He's trying to get it. Did oh. you see that drop? He's trying to move his uh, facility from uh, California over to Nevada. Oh, I wonder, he, he might be coming to Texas. You might have Tesla in your backyard. Coming to Texas and Nevada, so you know, hey, I'll take Tesla out here. I want to interview uh, Elon. I I think it'd be fantastic for me and you to interview him. Yeah, I think he's. Yeah, we would for sure interview him and see if he's got the time. I'm down. Uh, let's get yeah. him on the show. But now, hydrogen is something we'll get into. I love it, and you know, all this. You know, I really, you know, for you know, I think you do a good job of talking about. You did a good job of talking about sort of the paradigm shift from what the renewable energies, you know, claim to be and what actually happens. I think there just needs to be a little more honesty between how that conversation happens. And I think you'll start to see that. I know this Planet of Humans movie that Michael Morris dropped is an unbelievable amount um, of, of, of views. It's been, it's been widely covered. So I just recommend go checking that out and, and, and also check out the special we have dropping. You know, before we move on um, to our week that will be, is upcoming in oil, I, I, this just grinds my gears. This is stuff that bothers me and I just had to get off my chest. So May 5th, um, 8K is released by Chesapeake Energy. So guys, give you an example, guys. Um, Chesapeake Energy has had a historic collapse in their price of, uh, in their absolute trading price. Now remember they did a 20 to one stock split, but to give you an idea, um, you know, you know, 2000, you know, let's just kind of give you an idea here in 2000, in February of 2015, the stock was trading at equivalent $3,600. It's now at 1470. So let's just talk about a historic collapse in a price war. And everybody knows what Chesapeake, you know, knows how Chesapeake got here. Doug Lawler, the current CEO took over in 2013 on top of even a more historic collapse in the price of oil. So this company has been Basically, its market share has been wiped out. They completely swung and missed at the natural gas. You know, they were in on natural gas four years ago when maybe if you, they were getting in on it now, it was a good idea. But I saw this in their 8K. And this, this is why, this is what drives people crazy. And this is what drives people crazy when they look at these companies. This is why you hear people say that, you know, this is why when you get on Twitter, you'll hear shale oil is a scam. I mean, that's what you get on. When you go on Twitter, that's what you hear. Shale oil and some of these companies are scams. Well, why? Because this is, look, look what's happening right now. This is drops in their AK, May 5th, 2020. The board encompassed, this is at the second paragraph. The board and compensation committee with the advice of their independent compensation consultants and legal advisors. Ooh, that just seems like that's another layer of people to get paid. How do we, how can we, be, how do we get in on that, Stu? Can we become independent compensation consultants? Oh, I, I think we can. Hire the 3C. We, that's the new deal. The 360 digital closure, but we're going to be independent compensation. You know, call us up. If you're a board of directors, any public company, we will help you set your compensation structure for your exams. We do better just than this because they determined that the historic compensation structure and performance metrics that are currently in place would not be effective in motivating and incentivize the company's workforce. What? 
Okay, so clearly they've realized that whatever compensation structure they have right now won't motivate the force. So it seems like there's a glimmer of hope, but as always, we know it gets much worse as we read on. Let's look at the senior executives and the named executive officers' compensation. The target variable compensation to certain senior employees, including our named executive officers and designated vice presidents, will be prepaid with an obligation to refund up to 100% of the compensation if certain conditions are not satisfied. I wonder what those are. Those aren't clearly shown. Right. Those, those performance metrics will never be shown. The total amount paid to these 21 employees will be $25 million. Are you kidding me? We're going to now, are you kidding me? It just breathing is not part of the performance. No, breathing is driving is absolutely driving down the stock of your company. And it just, this is, and, 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 you know, trust me, I'm just using this as an example. This can be seen in multiple, you know, I, I've been pouring over these earnings sheets and they tried to sneak this in there. Item 5.02, you can go look this up um, on their 8K they released on May 5th. It's just, this is what gives shale oil and gas a bad name, stuff like this. And, you know, I know, you know, th there can be a lot of thoughts on that, but it just, it just kills me. It just kills me. It, the historic, their, their compensation structure performance metrics would not be effective in motivating and incentivize the company's workforce. So we need to give them, we need to give them each a million bucks. We need to give them each a million bucks. That's the way to do it. From a company that has a free cash flow, you know how much cash on hand they have? This is how much cash on hand they have. It was like $6 million. I don't want to get this wrong. I looked this up this morning. Cash on hand, $6 million. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? It's just, it just, it's, it's all I got to say. That gives executives a bad name. It does. It really does. It gives, and he's a minds guy. It just kills me. It just kills me. Um, but that's, it just, it just kills me. But before we get ourselves in any more trouble than we already have, I think we should go ahead and switch gears into the week that's coming up with oil trading. As always, this episode or in this segment is sponsored by Sandstone Capital Group. These guys do insanely good research and provide all the levels from their energy glimpse solution. I'm telling you, if you guys haven't already called these guys to figure out what's going on in the energy markets, you should do that now. They know, I mean, really, they, they, they're some of the top level research guys I've come across. You can call them 949-561-1818. You can get a hold of them. You can also email them, Connor at sandstonecg.com. Really, there's just two stories that I'm watching for sort of this week that I think are kind of define what's what's happened moving forward. Um, EOG May 8th, so that was Friday, dropped um, their had their earnings call. I mean, and they really came out that they're gonna that they're shutting in production for at least four months, and they're and that includes 125,000 barrels a May, which is a big number. It's a big number. Wow. That it's a good number that's coming off the market. Um, you know, in terms of the product. So it's going to be very interesting to see these EIA numbers. As we know, these EIA numbers have been very slow of domestic production coming off. This is good to see that a company like EOG, who's really a lot at this, at, in this, in this market, in oil and gas, they are a large cap company. They they are a buyer. They are somebody who has the market capabilities, has the credit, and has the ability to go out and be a buyer in this M&A space. So the fact that they're shutting in 125,000, and they're bullish on it. I mean, their, their quote was from their CEO, Bill Thomas, we view shut-ins as low-cost storage. That was his quote. It's a great way to manage your business, especially in a price environment we're in. So they see shutting in as a great way to do low-cost storage, which is interesting. It'll be probably that's what these large-cap companies are beginning to see. They shut in 8,000 barrels a day in early March. So, I mean, that's why I, I probably – and see, this is where I got thrown off a little bit. This is where when, you know, revisionist history is always 2020. It looks back and says, yes, in early March, it wasn't as obvious to shut in wells. And I've been calling for, you know, 300,000 barrels off the market every – so, I mean, I was – I was you know, I was way early to the party. Classic, Mike. It was just a little early, and then I leave before everything really gets going. So it's off the train, and now it's coming. <laughs> but that's where you're seeing these, you know, these 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 twenty thousand barrels were shut in last week. They're going to be moving forward um, with all of this stuff. You know, they're only bringing about a hundred or four hundred and eighty-five net wells onto production this year. That's a reduction from eight hundred net wells they were supposed to bring on. They're also delaying one hundred and fifty new wells until the second half of twenty twenty, which yeah, that's not going to happen. Uh, that'll probably be pushed back to twenty twenty. You know, really what they want to, you know, really what they're, the, the biggest quote that I saw from, you know, from this that I think is going to guide things moving forward, our 2020 production profile reflects a rate of return decision. It's never been it before. Which well gives me the best rate of return? And we can argue, you know, until the cows come home about wellhead IRR. I think that's right up there with non-GAAP 
free cash flow. I don't know what that really means. Um, but uh, um, that's really what I got out of this um, and from this specific earnings that happened on Friday. And I think it's just something to watch for. I think you're going to be seeing a lot of these companies, you know, these, you know, whether it's these larger companies who have this primer acreage, you know, cause I think people are realizing that these shale wells are about the only ones that can get shut in and turned back on with any efficiency. If you don't have any Ferraris, you kind of just got to keep them rolling. Uh, you bet our, our folks over at, uh, premier Oilfield uh, group, uh, Blue and Frank that we talked to really are uh, folks, experts that you got to talk to. I mean, you I have learned to. Uh, talking to them on our interview. You have to. I mean, if you're, if, you're think, if you're considering shutting wells in as an operator, I would please call a friend's of Premier Oilfield Group. It's, it's much like if you have any questions about ESG, call Tisha Schuler and our friends at Adam at Teen Energy. You got to call Premier Oilfield Group if you have any questions with shutters. And I think what EOG came with is going to be seen. So I'm looking for more barrels to be talked off the market. Um, before we get to the international news desk, we still have one more thing that I just think we should be, you should be watching. For. Gasoline demand is up. We got U.S. refinery numbers that drop, and we are seeing increase in gasoline demand as states begin to reopen. And I think you're going to be continue to see the same thing. I think this next week is going to be very bullish for natural for gasoline demand. I think we're going to see oil continue to creep up. It's an article on S&P Global. I will link it in the show notes. Basically what it does is it talks about, it goes over all the pads and tells you the actual gasoline demand refinery. The key is pad one, which is New York in that Northeast section. It's seeing a huge increase, which is very good to see because remember the Northeast and New York state specifically is the one that it's been hit the hardest. So it's really, 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 really good to see the New York side of the demand come back because that's a key driver. I think we've seen California and the West side of the country continue to kind of open up Texas obviously is fully opening up and we knew in those last two sprawl interviews you know traffic consumption was up three percent but it's good to see that reflected in all of these pad increases which is really 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 nice the capacity you know Delaware City 182,000 that is a great increase that we need to see in those numbers so it I, I, I'm bullish now I think the reverse quarantine is happening I think it's happening I think we're starting to come out uh, you're right about that and uh, it's a little bad news for our uh uh, tanker that you and I have sitting in the corner. Um, you know, we the uh, oil and gas 360 tanker may not, you know, have. Good thing story. we didn't find any investors because I'm not I'm not as bullish on that anymore. Because really, I don't think we're going to see negative pricing again. I think we're going to now. I mean, it's only May 10th, so or excuse me, May 11th. So, oops, we're not recording this Monday. Um, but uh, um. I think you're going to see, I don't think you're going to see negative pricing again, excuse me. I think the front end of the curve is going to stay positive. I mean, it may go down low, but I don't think you're going to see negative. I mean, I know, I know excuse me, right after it happened um, there in the end of May or in the end of April, people were saying negative 100 is coming for the end of May. I don't think so. I really don't think so. I think demand is coming back. I think people are, 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 I think the reverse quarantine is happening, but as always, I could be wrong. And if you think I'm wrong and want to debate me, please, we want it on the show. Email me mtanner at entercominc.com. Uh, you know, you can also call me 303-907-6825. You know, I, you can find me on LinkedIn at Michael Tanner. I'm probably the most available person online right now. So if you need to get a hold of me, go ahead and hit me up. I actually have, you know, I need to probably respond to a couple people as it goes. So I appreciate everybody who has reached out to the show, but I think what What's going on in the international side? I know you've got some stuff on the desk we need to cover. You bet. Hey, um, one of our favorite topics is uh, South America. And uh, just released this. Well, morning. we know set. We know. Well, not to cut him, but we know. Why is it? Because our friends from 10X Technologies, they, that's a hot market. We're, in, we're bullish as a podcast on that market. Oh, you bet. And also our friends at JCA who actually are oilfield service. So oilfield service. Oh, good um, to know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is finding that. But Buenos Aires um, is really hitting uh, it out of the park as far as setting oil price gains. They're actually going to be doing their own mini OPEC, and they're going to be uh, limiting production and setting their own prices off of WTI. I thought that was interesting. Um, the other one is uh, China. Uh, Sanofi put in the largest petrochemical port into operation and they just unloaded the biggest uh, uh, VLCC from the Middle mm -hmm. East this week. Oh, okay. So interesting. So interesting. you're seeing some real uh, interesting things going on internationally right now. 
Yeah, very interesting. And that, you know, that global output's crazy. And, and you know, what's a, any update on our Chinese media friends? My uh, Mandarin's not going too well. Um, I think after my last comment saying that uh, I was going to charge him $5,000 for our interview, I heard... Um, Crickets. I heard nothing. Crickets. Crick, crick, you know, that's all right. That's all right. Well, you know, I think, you know, levels-wise on oil... You know, like I said, I've really flipped from a bit from from a bear to a bull here recently, and I think it's also reflected in the in, in the commitment of traders. We'll take a look at, you know, the levels I'm seeing pivot point right now, 23.52. I mean, oil closed 24.47, opening up here, um, opens up Saturday or Sunday afternoon. It'll be interesting to see what the gap looks like. Excuse me, got to wet the palate a little bit. I'm doing so much talking over here, but uh. Um, you know, really, you got, you know, 24.65, I think, is the pivot point. You know, on the upside, I'm seeing 24.74, obviously, where it's closed at, I think, is a good level. 26.69, 29.43, I think you're three levels to the upside where you see that much, where you see enough volume. I don't know if we're going to get up to 26, 29 bucks. I don't think we're necessarily going to get below $21. So if that's what you really want to think, right, I think it's going to be more of a range week next week, especially as we see the roll in USO beginning to happen. If you're a perma bear, I mean, really, you've got a huge gap from 20 to 18 that's going to act as resistance. That's, you know, maybe my, I'm going to probably put my floor at, a, you know, the high, the mid-18s when you look at just in terms of a volume. I don't know if oil is going to get below that. But obviously, if it does, it's, it's because storage is going to continue to be a big issue. And I think the EIA numbers that drop this what Friday or this Wednesday hopefully lend to all of these shut-ins. As we mentioned, EOG is 125,000 barrels of oil a day. That should be reflected in the EIA. This week, and if it's not, I ooh, it'll just grind my gears because they, they come out and say, oh, we're going to do all of this, and then the actual numbers come out. It's like the, I mean, not to go back to the Michael Moore special, but it's like everyone saying, uh, it's like all those, you know, green activists talking about 25 to 50% of Germany's electrical output by wind and solar, and then the actual numbers come out, and it's 1.5. It's like, well, you said this, but then it was that. It just kills yeah. me. It just absolutely, it absolutely kills me. And when we look at the trading calendar, I don't see anything interesting. All um, um, the federal budget balance does come out um, Tuesday at 12. So, I mean, if you're just interested in what our balance sheet, the government balance sheet's looking like, that'll be very interesting. Um, Fed Chair Powell speaks Wednesday at 7. So that'll be very interesting to see um, Jerome Powell be speaking. I will be tuning into that at 8.30, obviously. Uh, we will be watching crude oil inventories. I'm sure I'll be trading that. Natural gas storage comes out at 8.30 on Friday. But when we look at the ER, excuse me, on Thursday, COT, commitment to traders, you know, really the only interesting thing that happened, swaps were back on the long side, which was good. They cut a lot on the short side. And that basically means companies are getting stopped out of all, of their, they're cashing in all of their swaps because a lot of these swaps were rehedged back, you know, at 20 to 30 bucks. Now that oil's at 20 bucks or 24 bucks, you can see some of those swaps getting cashed in. Uh, managed money or hedge funds, they got long, cut their shorts. I mean, same old story. They're bullish on oil. I mean, why would you not? If you don't, if it really can't go below, Low zero. Um, I mean, it can, but it can't. Like I said, we have a whole podcast talking about really what that price actually means. It's it's, it's much like Inception. It's a dream within a dream. Um, there's multiple things to go to. Um, Manage money, seeing this an opportunity to buy low and hopefully get out high. Um, on the long side for producers, not much movement. They really got long on the sh or they really picked up their short positions, which is telling you they're picking up hedging. It's really all I'm seeing for the week ahead at oil. I mean, you know, the biggest thing is I'm just looking for shut-ins this week. My key thing is shut-ins for the EIA on Wednesday. What's that going to show? What's that domestic production number going to be? It's 11.9 now. It's got to be 11.7 or below. If it's not 11.7 or below, I'll be thoroughly disappointed. Michael, I think your uh, reverse uh, COVID lockup is about to happen. Folks want out of the house. And I think you're dead on right that uh, uh, demand is going to go up sharply. I think so, but you know, as we've as as we've learned on this podcast so far, I'm generally ahead to the I'm generally early to the party. So we'll see when this reverse quarantine actually happens. But I'm put we're putting it we're putting our claim to that stake right now as we move in to checking in with our 360 picks of the week. But first, as always, the lawyers make us say this so we don't get sued. This segment is for entertainment purposes only. Obviously, everyone on this show, i.e. me, Michael Tanner, and Stuart Turley, invest for our own account. We do not manage any outside money. We do not invest or give any investment advice. We do not offer securities or have any involvement in the regulation side of the industry. Investing is risky, and you can lose your entire principal. Stu, you're green on the week, though. Your side of the portfolio looked good. 
I am, uh, Michael. It's kind of weird. Uh, normally, I'm not right on anything, and uh, between my two, <laughs> you always beat me. Uh, and, You've been killing it lately. Oh, I, my LNG uh, is uh, up 2.99 percent. Uh, Enphase, which is the solar uh, chip manufacturer, I'm kind of hedging both sides of that that bet there. But then you take a look at Geopark, oh, South America, and then you take a look at Rattler and Fang. Mm -hmm. Both of those are uh, doing pretty well, 4.2% and 1.9%. Uh, but Pioneer is also doing really well in uh, Noble. Um, okay. Tomcat, uh, you want to hear about him? No, I do. I just, you know, I think you've, you, you know, you're holding up our side, your side of the portfolio very well. I haven't really made much moves as long as just, I'm just baking in longer term gigs for us. I love how you're getting in and out for us. It's, it's been awesome. Tomcat, he's bottom feeding, right? That's what it looked like. Yeah, I saw the notes. Feeding again, but he also, added, uh, I don't, yeah, anyway, bottom feeding is interesting in and out, in and out. And, uh, he's all green this morning getting ready for, uh, um, uh, Penn, Virginia was up actually 13.4%. Really? And his other, uh, Valero was up 7.6%, but he got back into Newark, uh, resources. It's up 13.4%. Uh, so, uh, just a little bit, but he gained it more in his bottom feeding. Uh, the figure. lesson with Tomcat is simple. If you have a strategy, stick to the strategy and execute it. It does much better than just firing bullets from the hips. Oh, I like this technical. Have a strategy. If you're going to bottom feed, bottom feed for a week. Find that strategy. Find companies that fit what you're looking for. Set an entry, set an exit, read the technicals and do what you need. I mean, so uh, that's the lesson I take from Tomcat every single week is the methodical approach he takes. I mean, it's, it's one of the most, it's a professional take. I mean, it's a reason why you want to, I mean, I know he sits in on a trading room every day. It's why you want to sit in if you're an active day trader on some sort of trading room because it gives you that structure because so you have to, you have to treat it like if you're going to day trade, you know, I, I've, I've lived that life for over a year. You have to treat it like a job every day. You wake up, do your research, get into the room, warm up what the markets are telling you, get your, I mean, there's a reason why you have so many screens going on because you're looking for the opportunity. You're, you're you have to be monitoring multiple markets, not just, you know, you don't just pick one stock and say, I'm going to figure out trade this one. You have to figure out what, what market is giving me the best opportunity to make money today. It's, it's, it's really impressive what he does. Oh, you bet he is. That's a job. It is. And we look at my side of the portfolio. I haven't done anything besides, you know, basically do a really green trade on Bonanza Creek. We were in that at 1489, currently trading at 1723. I, I'm just long-term bullish on that. So we're going to stay in that. Natural gas, remember, we have a long-term position I took out. That's at $1.82.6. Right now it's $1.82.3, so we're down actually a little bit. But I mean, the, you know, spoiler alert, everyone's saying natural gas is going to be 3 to 350 um, come this summer this should be a great trade then. So I'm staying in as the long term. But if these experts are wrong, it'll be a fun because I know there are a lot of hedge funds getting long. This treatment of traders on natural gas looks, we'll have to cover that next, uh, we'll cover that on Friday. Um, we'll, we'll go back and look at some of the commitment of traders on the natural gas side and see what we can play. I don't have the numbers up in front of me right now, so I don't feel comfortable doing it. But I guarantee you we're going to see a pattern of getting long on natural gas. Well, you know, that's why you and I are a uh, pretty good team. You balance uh, me and uh, I somewhat balance your excitement. All right, but we should really shift gears now to Stephen Barrow. We've got him on the line. As always, Stephen is our midstream expert and we come to him every single week to get an update on what's going with the midstream. You can find him. He is the owner-operator of Patronus Energy. You can find him at www.patronusenergy.com. We appreciate Stephen taking some time out on this Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, of course, to yours. Um, really, you know, I, I, there's a lot of stuff I want to get into with you, but, the, but, but really the first thing I want to chat with you is get an update on what's going on. You know, I did a whole segment back on my podcast on, on Friday talking about earnings and what's going on in that space. And I was wondering if you could give everyone an update on what's going on in the midstream side with earnings yeah a couple of different things uh, i mean one they have to there's a couple of things you're going to notice in the earnings releases that that allude to future m a activity and, and i'll touch on that in a minute but um you know in the last couple of weeks you, you look at some companies like enterprise products or one oak they're both of those companies and others are lowering their growth capex guidance 
Um, and, and so like enterprise products lowered it by 2.75 billion. Uh, One Oak, you know, they, they lowered it by um, 56% or, you know, 56, 56% down from 2019. So large reduction in their guidance of CapEx growth. And that's to be expected, right? This drillers aren't drilling, they're not building as many uh, new projects as they were um, in days past. But something interesting is if you want to know the health of a balance sheet of a midstream company, and we talked about this before, is that you really want to know in their portfolio, do they have um, exposure to demand pull pipelines? And, and that's going to be huge in assessing value for midstreamers and just trying to analyze how well they're going to perform in this environment. Uh, and so like for reference, one oak, roughly 100% of all their natural gas pipelines are on take or pay contracts and they're tied to demand pull pipelines. Again, like it, we talked about this before, but demand pull just means it, they're tied to like a utility or power generation facility mm-hmm. um, that is a, they have, they're, they're gonna be all right. They have volumes that flow through their, their pipe. Uh, as opposed to a lot of others out there that have higher exposure at the wellhead. So when drillers stop drilling, their volumes drop off and they just have greater exposure at the wellhead. So they're really hurting any company that's, you know, like that. But, um, you know, we talked about this, mm-hmm. but really the cool stuff that you're noticing um, in these earnings calls is what's being alluded to future M&A activity. And mm-hmm. um, so, you know, for example, just this last week, you, you talk about Plains All-American, uh, you know, in their earnings call, Really, the fact that they are aiming for a $600 million reduction in non-core asset sales this year, uh, you know, and they have 440 million closed, so they're waiting for close. That, that that's probably going to be delayed. Some of that due yeah. to COVID and everything going on, but uh, that's huge. Basically, they just hung up for sale sign out there, <laughs> so they're going to be divesting some stuff. And I think that's a really good. I mean, do you see these the, the, the price environment if you're an institutional investor to someone looking in is, is now the right time? Because, I mean, I see $600 million in non-core assets, and that seems like a big number in this price environment. But, I mean, I just cut an interview with Sproul earlier this morning that talked about um, natural gas pricing. Henry Hub could be 3 bucks. So, I mean, maybe these numbers don't – these seem outrageous at first, but right now I, they really don't actually. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, it, it's a pretty good environment. I mean, like, you talk about – the companies that are going to be divesting and they're trying to reduce their leverage. Well, their leverage was formed during a season when times were better. And so, uh, you know, they, they built their financial modeling off of, um, you know, better times. And so when somebody purchases these very same assets, they're going to have financing behind it that has more favorable, um, you know, balance sheet, right? Because they're uh, essentially they're wiping out the former debt yeah. on these facilities and they're they're forming new credit facilities so um yeah it's a good time to buy to be honest and then while companies are really trying to focus on what they're good at they're really bringing that focus into their core assets um you know like another earnings call western midstream partners ceo michael ure he said an earnings call last week that their priority is is leverage reduction full stop that's you know what he said so above Mm -hmm. all else they're trying to reduce their leverage um and in the same call, they, they realize that their normal way to reduce leverage or their, you know, is revenue coming from their, um, you know, minimum volume commitments and take or pay contracts, all that kind of stuff. But in terms of volume flow, uh, the models out there are showing, you know, it's going to decline through third quarter, fourth quarter. And so they know when they say that they're going to, their priorities to reduce leverage, they know that that it's not going to happen mm-hmm. through, you know, volumes. It's going to happen through um, leverage reduction through divestitures. So they're going to look to be divesting some of their non-core assets. And for them, Western Michigan partners in particular, that's uh, anything that is not in the Delaware Basin or the DJ Basin. Interesting. Well, that's so, good yeah. to know. No, I think it's it, the yeah. M&A market moving forward is going to be fascinating. And I know that's something we're going to cover. You know, what I want to shift to is sort of, I guess, the other big topic that was huge about a month ago. It was huge. Yeah, three weeks ago, everyone was talking about storage. Now nobody is. So I want to kind of just get your get your take on how is this, you know, we, you know, obviously storage is filling up. What's the current storage situation? What's going on on that front? You know, because I think the big thing is, are we going to see negative pricing again? Because it was a storage issue. Do, 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 well, what are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, great question. I don't know if we're going to see negative prices again. I mean, um, in in some of the former episodes, we talked about like what were the big drivers in that, and some of the you know mistakes that were made on on the trading side to cause negative pricing. So I don't know if it'll go negative again, but yeah, there'll be a lot of downward pressure on the price still, because um, you know for those that follow the API data, recently released that storage of Cushing is pretty much full except for smaller like the remaining capacity that's already reserved. So when we talk about hitting top of the tank, we've, we've, with all intents and purposes, we've hit top of the tank. So people are starting to get like way creative on where they're stashing their oil. If not, they're shutting in. So in the scoop and stack, I mean, Chisholm uh, is an operator out there. Recently, well, last year, who acquired Gastar, um, they shut in all their production in, in you know, Kingfisher County and the, you know, the areas around. So they went from normal production to zero. And uh, there are other producers in, in that basin and other basins that are that have already started modulating and cutting back uh, because that's just that's all you can do. Um, now, Moda Midstream, that's a that's a name to follow. They just mm-hmm. announced within the last couple of weeks they added additional storage, which is very timely. <laughs> very timely. Paper. That seems convenient. <laughs> Yeah, so they added just just about you know half a million barrels of crude storage uh, within the last two weeks, which is you know awesome. The interesting thing about Moda, so they um, you know they added the storage in their Ingleside Energy Center, and just two years ago, not even two years ago, they acquired that from Oxy. Um, you know, as part of, Oxy was looking to raise cash that ended up being put towards the uh, you know, bloated Anadarko deal. And so they, they were looking at divisive some assets and I'm, I'm sure they're just kicking themselves over that, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, they're like, ah, oh, dang it, we needed that. <laughs> exactly. Well, I think so. I, I've got one question here and this is something that I saw. It was an article that dropped by Energy Transfer Partners and you pointed it out to me in our show notes was that there, 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 there's talks now of turning in pipelines into actual storage. What does that look like from an operation standpoint? How it, you know, it, 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 how, how, what does that look like? It seems crazy that you're just going to stop a pipeline from flowing and just store oil in it. Seems crazy. Yeah, it seems crazy, but um, when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense because on the other end of that pipeline, on the downstream side, you're going to have somewhere to. You, I mean, usually there's like a storage facility down there, and if the storage facility is all full up, there's nothing that's going to flow anyway. <laughs> so. Uh, they've mm-hmm. they've had to just say, well, we're, normally this wouldn't make a lot of sense, but it does now because we don't have anywhere to flow. So they, they, you know, some companies that have these pipelines, energy transfer being one of them, they've gone to their customers, their producer customers, and worked out deals that are storage deals, which is it's just weird. It's almost mind blowing because yeah. normally this this you know producers are paying volumetric deals throughput, like you know barrels per day type thing. Uh, and so you're essentially converting or almost like pausing those because if you're not flowing anything, then energy transfer revenue mm-hmm. goes from whatever it is to zero. <laughs> so they say, well, let's just have storage contracts and we'll go back to the producers and say, we'll let you keep your crude here. We're not going to flow it, but you can store it here for, you know, so many dollars per barrel per month. And that's what they've been doing. And, and they're not the only ones. I mean, Enbridge, mm-hmm. uh, and we've talked about them before because Enbridge uh, seems to be, in a really healthy spot in a number of different ways. Their metrics look really good. Uh, also announced that they reached a deal with shippers on um, their mainline system, uh, which is going to be, you know, just shy of about a million barrels of tar sand oil for an eight month term. And uh, that's huge. That's awesome. Yeah, no, that is huge. That's a lot of stuff. And that's absolutely Great. And, the, the, you know, the storage issue, no one's talking about it again, but it's, it, it just seems to be that it's sort of waiting in the service. And it'll be very interesting to see what happens as we get closer to that contract rollover. You know, before I let you go, Steven, is there anything else that, that, that you think we need to, that, that's on the forefront for the midstream business that you, that you need, that we need to know about? Yeah, absolutely. So like you said, that storage is like a super hot topic and then it's not it's dead <laughs> yep, <laughs> so exactly. like, well, it was it was well. it was like a net neutrality it was here and then it was gone and it's like oh where where it is <laughs> yeah. where where'd it go <laughs> yeah so uh you might be wondering well when people stop talking about storage what's what's the next thing like what are people going to be caring about and what's the up and coming stuff in in 
for me, my perspective and what I see uh, as my firm interfaces with our clients and, and, and does our consulting work, it's water. Water is going to be uh, what everyone continues talking about. Again, like this is a theme that popped up in, uh, in the different earnings releases is that companies have, have been pushing towards taking their water infrastructure, uh, meaning, you know, like, I don't know, like different producers. Yeah. You, need, you produce crude and gas and water. And the water's a nuisance. You got to dispose mm. of it. And that's become kind of a midstream function now. Midstream companies have built like uh, water gathering systems and disposal systems. Okay. Um, but if you look at the trend in all the earnings, the past earnings releases, uh-huh. those are typically reported almost mixed in with other metrics. Well, now they're pushing all those assets into separate metrics, which to okay. me is a signal that that will remain not just remain a significant business unit and revenue generator for these mission companies, but it's going to continue to grow so that they are trying to make it friendly for investors to, to track those metrics. I learn so much every single time we get Stephen on the phone and I, we need to go ahead and shift gears to Nick Barry because we've got him hot on the line. He's been waiting around for us. I love chatting with Nick. He is our Nick Barry. He is our energy finance expert. He's got experience both in the upstream and the midstream finance side of the business. You know, you texted me here and you know, you, you, you wanted to start with the, the, the Michael Moore comment. You've watched that video. I just kind of want to get your thoughts on what's going on with the uh, Michael Moore special. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Mike. Happy, happy Mother's Day to you as well. Um, very interesting documentary. If, if you all haven't watched it, I highly recommend checking it out for anyone, not only in oil and gas or any, anyone or energy, but anyone that's, you know, I think it appeals to the general public and brings up a lot. I think it does a very good job of bringing up a lot of the concerns with renewables as far as where we are now and why we are not at the point where we can just flip the switch tomorrow and get rid of fossil fuels and society can run on renewables. He, you know, he, in depth, he does a very good in-depth analysis of a lot of the large scalable issues Mm -hmm. with um, all different renewables. And so I think that was really good for, um, the general, you know, the general public to see and, and probably adding light and, and more clarity to where we actually are as a society. Yeah. And I mean, really what I, the, a couple things that I took away and not to spoiler alert this, uh, this special that'll come out, hopefully whether it's this week or next week, it really depends on some stuff. Oh, inside baseball, we just record a bunch of uh, internal specials and we drop them whenever we can't line up interviews. So I think we've marked it for this week, but even if I haven't, um, I'll kind of give a spoiler. My big takeaway was, I mean, one of the sections that we focused on was there was a part where they mentioned that, you know, they had two people from the green movement who talked about Germany was 25 and 50% all the way Mm -hmm. at some points Mm -hmm. up to 80% using wind energy. And then when you actually look at the numbers that Mm -hmm. German puts out, it's like 1.5%. So really it just highlights that not only are we being misled, but we're being physically lied to, which I thought was, I mean, maybe me and you had sort of known that for a little bit and people in, 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 in sort of the oil and gas side maybe knew that a little bit, but it's very interesting to see somebody on the other side of the equation really point out just the entire misinformation of the entire renewables movement. Yeah, no, and, and absolutely. And, you know, oil and gas is tough. Uh, it's because we just need, we need it. And it's, I mean, it's inevitable. And when you watch the documentary, it's very clear, you know, all, all the renewables rely so heavily on, on hydrocarbons and natural gas. Um, and it's tough, you know, it's, it's like you're, you're not as oil and gas company. You're, you're kind of, you're, you're, you're kind of the, you're, you're the kicker on the football team. You know, you're, everyone needs you, but um, they love you're kind of the center. You you're the center, you. man. You touch the ball every single play, but you get zero love. I actually, yeah. uh, I'll yeah, throw, I think the you're the center. center. I think, yeah, no, I agree. Exactly. You're, you're you're in a very essential piece of the business, but you're you're not getting any of the, the credit. So um. exactly, and 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 the other part I thought really was interesting was them bringing up and actually showing you know I, you know I I also thought you know I've sort of fallen into the belief that um, 
say, uh, solar panels were actually made by sand. And it was funny to see the, it's actually coal and quartz, yeah. which are probably two of the most energy intensive minerals to mine. It's unbelievable. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's, that's pretty wild. Um, it also does a pretty uh, illustrative picture on um, biomass and, and makes a pretty strong, strong case um, against that, which was very interesting. Yeah, it also just strokes my economics side of me because, you know, you're talking about the whole value chain. I think a lot of people, yep. they look at renewables and say, well, once we have the solar panel, it's net carbon neutral. Well, it's okay, mm. maybe when the solar panel is produced, but you've forgotten the yep. fact of how that solar panel got to be made. It's one of the big things. I, and so just as, you know, the exactly. economist in me really love the, the whole value chain concept. Yeah, no, and that's incredibly true. And that's something that just gets overlooked so much. Um, and it definitely has no right to be overlooked. And I mean, I'm not advocating we need to take advantage and, and put, you know, explore renewables and, and develop these processes because oil and gas is a, a limited resource. But this explains how, you know, all we're still very reliant on fossil fuels and will yeah. be for a long time. I also think about, you know, what if that money, you know, how many billions and billions of government dollars and billions and billions of private dollars have been spent on developing renewables when maybe the best thing we could have done with all of that money was spent on how to burn clean natural gas with zero CO2 yep. output. I mean, talk about the carbon capture technology we mm -hmm. could have if we said, let's just not worry about solar panels and just focus on not letting any of this natural gas emissions actually reach it. That's just, that's the, my final takeaway from that is the billions that could have been spent on carbon and capture it because that seems to be all the yep. rage now yeah um and completely agree and and that's something that's kind of in the negative light of oh it's a fossil fuel and oil and gas companies control it and they want to destroy the world um which is not the case oil and gas companies do not want us to destroy the world you know they're trying to make the world a better place and take it and take you know advantage of the abundance of natural gas that we have and so many applications that it can be used for. Um, and I just hope that that really gets to be brought into a better light because it's a very clean solution that has a long-term potential impact. Yeah, don't worry. We'll make sure to cut that part where you say oil and gas companies want to destroy the world. We'll, we'll make that go viral on some medium. But uh, I, I want to shift gears now because you sent me a very interesting article. You actually, I think you texted me sometime this week. Um, about the M&A deals and specifically some of the stuff mm -hmm. that Exxon Mobil's been doing. Really, and that's really what I think is going to be moving forward. We've seen earnings drop now, and I think we're starting to see some of the outlook on what maybe the M&A space will look like. But I mean, really, when you look at the numbers, there's been no activity so far. The number of deals over $50 million, well, at all-time lows. So, you know, I, you know, along that line, do you see anything? And what does this M&A space look like going forward? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely, there's been very little activity and I think understandably so due to this crazy market that we're in. Um, I think the article I had sent was on a, a, a very, a very large acquisition for Exxon in the tune of, I think, $7 million, which is really, really, really a barn burner, you know, really nothing. I got to reshuffle some, did they have to call up Buffett? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think they had to get Warren in on that one. <laughs> To, to give them the same deal they gave to Oxy. So I think that's, that's what happened there. Um, no, but, a, you know, a, a very small acquisition, but I think a lot of people might be viewing that as, you know, is this the beginning? Are these guys, you know, Exxon right now pays an 8% dividend in their stock and, and they plan to continue that. Um, but you got to think these majors, there's just going to be so many new opportunities, not only with struggling companies, but now the natural gas picture coming back into play, um, jumping on some of those opportunities. And I think now once you start to see the, the market kind of hopefully respond well to, the, to us and the coronavirus, I think you're going to start to see some definite activity. 
Yeah, if you see demand start to come back, I think you'll see some of the numbers on the on on the meat. But I think you touched on something that's 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 very key, and that is natural gas M and A deals. Because Shell came out this week. This was on my uh, that's another shameless plug for the 360 Digital Closing Bell Daily Show. You can watch that live on YouTube, two o'clock Mountain Standard Time every single day. But I think it was like Wednesday or Thursday. One of the one, one, my my one big thing was Shell came out and had a the, 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 they're purchasing Apple or they're selling their Appalachian asset which is you know pretty much strictly mm. natural gas for like mm. 500 million which is a good deal so the, the numbers yeah. are there in the right sections and really when you look at you know everyone's bullish on natural gas long term so i think so do you see the natural gas MA heating up and, and and maybe even before the crude oil side or is there is it mostly you know these iocs waiting out some bankruptcies and coming you know i'd expect I really mm-hmm. thought someone was going to swoop in from the from, from the internet, you know, from the IOC side and, and get whiting, but I think they're just going to let it go to crap before <laughs> before anybody. Yeah. But um, I, from that angle, do you see the natural gas or the crude oil side seeing more space? Because I could mm-hmm. maybe make an argument for either side, but I'm interested in your thoughts. Yeah, I think in the short term you're going to see the natural gas um, mm-hmm. side as as the act was where a lot of activities focused. Just because I think the general view for oil prices is low for probably you know for probably an 18 to 36 month time frame, and I think that people don't see the. I think there is a light at the end of the tunnel, but I don't think it's people see that as a clear picture right now. Mm-hmm. And I think the all these natural gas plays with demand picking back up and the low oil prices also, and, you know, activity in the Permian, which is, a you know, incredibly the largest associate, associated ga- gas producing play in the country. Um, with shut-ins there, I think in the, you just, the, the, the picture for natural gas, you can see that light at the end of the tub- tunnel. I think it's starting to look o- optimistic. So I think there'll be some activity in that space. Yeah, and you know, we recorded an interview, spoiler alert with Spruill that'll drop next week where they there I think they you know, they mentioned in that interview, I don't wanna you know, I don't wanna quote them, but it was somewhere between three to three fifty they see Henry Hub being by quarter three, mm. quarter four this mm. year. That'd be an unbelievable price, especially if it hangs yeah. out there for a while. Cause last time we saw natural gas that high, it pretty much went up and then it went down. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's interesting. I think there's a lot of favorable economics, you know. And, and a lot of these natural gas plays, um, especially, you know, to something that degree. And it's such a long, long-term focus. And I, it ties back into what we discussed earlier, all the renewables or clean energy. It's a much clean en- cleaner energy. And it's so essential for, you know, all these new renewable technologies. I just think there's a good long-term demand growth there. Yeah, because I mean, really, it, you, you would, you know, and, and you would think this, but when you sort of, I guess, look at the way money and, and the way the, the environment around um, oil and gas has shifted, ESG is going to continue to play such a huge mm-hmm. role, even in this downturn. And, and you know, companies, mm-hmm. you know, in the institutional investors like Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley was on a um, um, an, uh, I was on a webinar with 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 a couple people from analysts from those um specific banks last week and they were talking about how they've committed more money now to throwing into energy esg projects which is interesting at a time mm-hmm. like this so i you know i think you're right these natural gas plays not only i think you're going to see higher natural gas prices but fit in well with that esg stuff on the crude oil side you don't have to necessarily name names but when you're sitting if, if you're you know the ceo of exxon mobil right now are there certain things you're looking for when you're looking at hey who do i acquire what price points i'm acquiring I mean, obviously it comes down to how much it's going to cost you, but are there certain things from a, you know, an operational standpoint that you would look for um, if you're actually looking to come in and maybe make a deal here? Yeah, definitely. I think if you're looking at companies in general, um, you probably got a handful of, I'm going to focus on guys with, I think there's going to be great deals out there. There is great deals out there in, you know, established basins with core or, you know, really really solid acreage positions with a lot of remaining inventory left to drill, i.e., you know, Midland or Delaware Basin. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can just, obviously there's not going to be a ton of activity there. So you can kind of wait it out. And then if you just, you know, take a look into this company's financial position and, and see that most of these guys aren't going to be able to cover their debt without generating any cash flow. And then 
you know, they're just going to continue to struggle. I think there's a lot of great opportunities to get at a cheap price and, and, and not have to risk an, an unproven area or a, a, an asset that won't be economic with a favorable oil price. Yeah, I'm with you. I think we're going to see an incredible amount of tier one acreage become available. And mm-hmm. I think it's going to be a, really, it's going to be a, an intense proposition. If you're one of these IOCs, you're going to be, you're going to be able to feast on some of these bankruptcies. But um, I really think that's interesting. And we'll make sure to keep everybody updated with all the M&A deal. Before we let you go, Nick, is there anything that's on your mind that we, that we need to worry about moving into next week? I know, you know, proration's not happening. Oklahoma's probably going to shoot it down. So I don't think there's anything on that. Anything mm-hmm. else we need to stay, uh, that we need to, keep people afloat on before we let you go you know i think just keep watching well maybe we'll see if elon musk can get us to mars this next week um that could be an interesting thing to look out for or or his his next tweet his next um his next tweet that he sends that probably you know changes the market view of tesla by over 50 percent. yeah tesla stock too high 360 digital closing bell podcast stock too low I'll tweet that right now. <laughs> Absolutely. You heard that. it here first. All right. Well, how do people get a hold of you, Nick? Yeah, send me, uh, you know, my, my email is out there, uh, nickjberry24 at gmail.com. Um, connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, find my, you know, handle is nickjberry. So, and love to hear from you. Any feedback, comments, anything you want us to discuss on the show, let me know. Yeah, man, I'll make sure to get all of the comments your way and questions, and we will keep everything firing away during earnings season. But I'm looking at the time here. We just cracked an hour on this podcast. I know the earlier, you know, Friday I was a little down. I really apologize. We only cranked out. Um, um, we didn't crank out as many content as I would have liked, but we got back with a packed show today. But I'm going to go ahead and let you guys get back to work. Thank you for checking out the 360 Digital Closing Bell. We'll see you guys this afternoon with the Digital Day.